Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talk Show. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together some of the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Joining me today is Mark Henry Sandoz Paradella. And uh, while it might not sound like it, he's actually French Swiss. So, <laughs> so his accent might sound a little bit different than how his last name sounds. Um, but Mark Henry studied, uh, studied Protestant theology at the University of Geneva to become a pastor. And he practiced that profession as a life mission for over 15 years in an evangelical church. So you can imagine we're going to get into some interesting conversations today. Uh, deep questioning led him to resign after 15 years, and he realized that the many blocks that were at the core of his faith uh, led him to oftentimes the suffering behind them. So he faced little by little his own shadows and began a long-term therapeutic and integrative work to understand not only his faith, uh, but some of the challenges that had happened in his life. He passed through a period of 10 years of doubts, uncertainties, personal upheavals, professional uh, reinvention, and divorce. It was a very difficult and dark period, but very rich and great value. Uh, he discovered meditation and yoga thanks to his current partner, uh, the exceptional woman that is now his wife. And he got training in mindfulness meditation at the University of Geneva, where he had studied before, and then in yoga nidra and a few other forms as well. And so he's got an incredible, incredible journey uh, after the amputation of his left leg due to bone cancer in May of last year in 2018, he found himself with the urge to find a new balance in his life. And the first thing that he did too, literally, was to learn to walk and live with just one leg. And secondly, was to try and make some sense of what was happening to him. In that process, he discovered the need to grow into a deeper, renewed spirituality, one that would fully take into account what was happening to him without sugarcoating or falling into magical thinking. So we're going we're gonna to talk extensively at the beginning about Mark Henry's journey. And he has such an interesting upbringing, as many of you may relate to, in a very um, staunch and, and sort of strict religious household. Uh, Mark Henry shares some of his personal journeys with that and uh, the, the interconnection between some of his experiences as a child with um, breaking his leg constantly, the leg that actually ended up getting amputated later on in life, and uh, being, being mistreated, being misdiagnosed, um, being um, mis... I want to say mistreated, but as a child in this very strict religious household. And he shares some of his journey with religion, with the church, with being a pastor for an evangelical church. And he shares some of the reasons why he started to question that faith and ended up uh, choosing to leave it. He also shares how he has um, sort of rediscovered a sense of spirituality, not from a secular perspective, not from choosing you know one theology or doctrine over another, but sort of rediscovering this journey for himself. His story is really an incredible, incredible story. And I met him last year um, doing some some deep therapy works, therapeutic work and training um, that we were doing together. And his story stood out to me because here was a man, uh, when I met him, he had just lost his legs, leg two months prior and had gone through this huge shift in his identity. And when I heard his story about how as a child he had broken this leg multiple times and um, his parents had brought him to a faith-based healer, right? Uh, somebody that you would see on TV to heal his leg and ignored what the doctors had to say and only to have, you know, his disease, his bone disease go away. And then later on in life to have that bone disease form into cancer and then have it to be removed and to have him sort of have these existential crises. I was blown away by his story, by his um, compassion that he has in despite all of these situations, despite all of this challenge and obstacle, and despite having every reason in the book, every reason literally in the book to be completely angry at life, angry at existence, and to have be filled with hatred, um, he really is not any of those things. And so he shares some of his wisdom on how he views spirituality. And we dive into unpacking and talking about things like 
uh, spiritual toxicity and religious toxicity and what makes those things and, and why they show up and, and how people can use them to bypass uh, and how to shift into a space of of integrating some of these things. So whether you are religious, whether you are spiritual, whether you are have none of those things, you're atheist, whether you're questioning all of this, this episode is an incredible episode about that journey. And just a quick reminder for everyone out there, guys, head on over to the Facebook group and uh, check out the Man Talks community on Facebook. Incredible conversations on there. Don't forget to check out the Alliance. And last, last call, we are almost full for the Man Talks uh, men's work, men's weekend out in uh, Western Canada in May. We are almost full and we have a spot, a few spots for a few good men that want to come out and do some really great work with an incredible group of like-minded men. I'm going to be leading that myself. Uh, it's at this beautiful, beautiful location. So if that interests you, go to mantalks.com, check out the men's weekend. Uh, ladies, if you know some men that would benefit from going to do that type of work, feel free to fire that off to them. And without any further delay, please welcome Mark Henry. Hello to Connor. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, it is wonderful to have you on the show. I, I you know, had the pleasure of meeting you, uh, I guess, about six to nine months ago, uh, six to eight months ago. And you were, yeah, yeah, in July of 2018. And just your story and your life and who you are really, you know, resonated with me. And I think you know, your, your journey and your story, hopefully, uh, will resonate with a lot of people. So we'll, we'll leave them in suspense <laughs> for what that means. But um, why don't we start off with, with the question that I ask all my guests, which is tell us a story about a defining moment in your life that made you who you are today. You know, there are many moments who made me who I am today, but maybe one in particular I want to talk about is the the last very dramatic uh, moment that I've passed through in my life the that caused me to to come in this uh, this meeting in July we where we met uh, last in the beginning of the of uh, 2018 I had some some pain in my my leg and I tried to treat it no doctor could find anything and to make a, a long story short, I finally uh, found myself in the end of May in the doctor's office telling me, you know, you've got a bone cancer in your left thigh and it's very bad. And of course, you can imagine I was completely uh, overwhelmed by what was happening. I was already suspecting that the... the it, would be very, very tragic. And, um, okay, we had to do some further exam examinations. And uh, I've faced two news. The good news was that I hadn't metastasis in my whole body, so I could be saved, maybe, with no certitude. And the bad news that I had to to prepare myself for a very serious surgery on my leg and maybe uh, so serious that it would involve an amputation. And we were discussing that uh, with the doctors and, you know, I was feeling a bit blank. And in this moment, I did something that I was trained to do because I Apart from my job, I'm a meditation teacher and, you know, I'm used in mindfulness meditation and all that kind of things. And I was so impressed by what's happening to me that I just, listening to the doctor, I began to, to breathe and uh, to concentrate on my breathing. And very spontaneously, uh, I began to use the name of Jesus as my mantra which I never, I, I never did before. I have to talk to you about, a bit more about my upbringing and my complicated journey with Jesus, but we will do that later in the, in the podcast. But when I did that, to my surprise, very, very quickly came a huge amount of peace while I was listening to the doctor and 
breathing, repeating this mantra. And all the days after, especially when, you know, these moments in the night where I was feeling quite overwhelmed by what was happening to me and by terror, the, the terror was what was expecting me, I could come back to that practice and breathe and repeat this name of Jesus and every time feeling that peace. It was not a peace that was suppressing the, the difficulty or the strong emotions, but it was a peace that was giving me, you know, a place from which I could face what was happening to me. And mm. it's from that place that I could very quickly make the decision to uh, let the doctor amputate my leg and to do it as quick as possible, which may, made us uh, gain some time and which was really the only solution that could um, give me a reasonable chance of surviving. At this moment, it was a one chance over two. But I was quite happy with that already. And it's a spiritual experience that has been very intense for me and that could unfold in the, the weeks to come after this, uh, this moment and that is still unfolding and that helped me to, you know, to recover, of course, but also to face a lot of hidden things that were remaining buried into my body and into my soul. And that I got to talk a bit more after. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I appreciate you sharing a bit about the journey. And, you know, we the, one of the main reasons why I did want to have you on the show was to talk directly about religion and about spirituality, because you've had such an interesting journey with it and and have such a unique perspective on it and you know we're we're definitely going to to dive into that here in a minute but uh, you know I do want to come back to this experience because I think it's it's hard you know we we talk about grief and and we talk about challenges that we face in our lives and I think oftentimes people can get stuck in this place of of looking at other people's you know suffering and saying Oh, what they're going through is, is so much more challenging, is so much more hard than what I'm experiencing. And it's a means of bypassing and not having to deal with their own suffering. Mm -hmm. But I'm I'm curious if you can give us some insight. Because if I remember correctly, you had you had actually broken your leg previous to this. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, can you can you just share a little bit about that? Because that, that was the thing that I really sort of caught me off guard was that you had broken your leg, but under under sort of strange circumstances, right? Like nothing had really happened. So can you just sort of give the listeners a little yeah, bit yeah. of context into that? In fact, you know, I've got a, a bone disease, a genetic bone disease from childhood. Uh, it's a bone disease uh, located in the thigh, in the left thigh that was making my, my femur bone uh, fragile. And when I was a, a child and a teenager, I broke it several times, almost spontaneously. And I've passed through a lot of, I could say, spiritual abuse because of that. Because, you know, I, I've been raised in an evangelical family, very conservative, and we have gone to see some uh, healers evangelical healers, one that pretended to, to fix my leg. And again, to make short a long story, I've been raised with this kind of uh, conviction, certitude that my leg was healed. And when in the beginning of the year, I began to feel that pain in this leg, I couldn't almost imagine that it was related to that illness. Mm. But it was, and uh, <laughs> which is very strange. The doctor I went to see didn't uh, consider it, even if I talked to him of that uh, genetic disease. And, okay, he treated that uh, with different, try something and it doesn't work, so we try another thing. And it was hurting more and more until the moment where going to bed uh, at one evening, 
I, I was speaking with my wife and suddenly I fell on the ground because my leg broke under me. And uh, we arrived at the hospital in emergency, uh, in an ambulance. And uh, the doctor said, okay, it's your uh, genetic disease that in a way has awakened and caused again this uh, frailty and your leg broke off kind of fatigue. But at this moment, they didn't suspect uh, any cancer because mm. it's very, very rare that a cancer uh, grows in that kind of uh, genetic disease. So they fixed it up with surgery, with, you know, a kind of uh, metal pieces, um, screws in my bone. And okay, I was recovering when I heard this diagnosis of a cancer because they had made some routine uh, examination that six weeks after the surgery revealed that I had a cancer. And, you know, you talk about the bypassing. I've been raised, you know, in a way, in... Yeah, I've been raised in bypassing. I've bypassed and my parents have bypassed the reality of this disease. And that's why I was so surprised and so angry to discover that this disease caused this fracture and this cancer growing in that place, you know, is kind of an illustration of what happens when you cover and when you bypass what happens to you, it gives kind of a, a space where toxicity may grow and yeah. uh, it may be metaphorical and it may be in very concrete ways. Yeah. And yeah, so, so I think we should, I think we should kind of go back and, and maybe give a little bit of like the, almost like the chronological telling of your story, because one of the things that really stood out to me when, when we connected and I started to understand the timeline of your story, I, I, you know, I was truly, there's not many moments of like just pure awe and sort of synchronicity when, you know, when, when we hear other people's stories, but yours sort of came together in this very interesting way from your, from your childhood, the religious upbringing, the pain in your leg. Like it's, it's really interesting because this, the, this toxic sort of, you know, religious nature that, that you were, you know, raised in mm -hmm. and, and the challenges with your physical ailments really go hand in hand. And it's such an interesting, you know, and, and unfortunate in, in some ways, but, but very um, telling, I think, and educative for a lot of people. So, so let's just start with your, with your childhood, maybe tell the listeners a little bit about, you know, your family system, your parents, and, and the type of environment that you grew up in, because I think it resonates with a lot of people. Yeah, my my parents both uh, were quite good people, you know, very respectable. They were both teachers. My father was a director of a gymnasium. He was a very severe man, very respected, very wise looking, <laughs> with a big beard. And my, my mother was a very kind, soft, gentle person. But looking ret retrospectively, they were both completely full of anxiety. And this was coming from their upbringing during the war. And they both had terrible stories of their parents facing uh, the difficulties and the traumas of war. and. I'm really sure that they have been very much damaged by that. And they were trying their ass off <laughs> to ignore their fears, their anxieties, their, I would say, their terror about life and their terror about reality. And, you know, they, they both used religion and oversimplifying reality, they both used it very much to, to build a kind of reassuring lifestyle. So I've grown in a very conservative, evangelical upbringing. Emotions were not something you had to, to face very much. You had to ignore them. You had to repress them. And 
they made their best, you know, to give this image of the perfect family. And I've got a sister, two years younger than me. And, you know, in families, probably we, we choose the roles we are going to play. I choose the role of the one who would try his best to reassure his parents and to show that everything was going all right. <laughs> and my sister chose probably the, the other side. And uh, in fact, she became schizophrenic and uh, suffered all her life uh, of very difficult moments of strangeness, of anxieties and of uh, tr troubles in many ways. Uh, I choose this, uh, this path of reassuring and it uh, manifested in the fact that I, you know, I, I chose the, the career of an evangelical pastor. It was not only to reassure my parents because I had a sincere interest for the, for the divine and for, I had a very big love for Jesus. And I must say that the church we were attending was a kind of refuge for me for some times because there was a, a youth group and, you know, places where I could escape this dark place that was my family and find some, some joy, some, uh, some relief. Mm. Okay. I just, I just want to ask a question there because I think one of the, I think one of the common things that, that I hear, you know, some of the clients that I work with and, just people that I've you know spoken to either on the show or just in general in life is that that's a very common experience is that that religion in whichever form that it is can be this sort of haven oftentimes from the darkness that's in the family which is which is oftentimes quite ironic in a sense because because the family system the family that that we grew up in is is supposed to reflect often what you know what the religion is talking about it's it's supposed to be this this safe healing space so when when you talk about the you know the darkness within the family i think that's a very common thing that that we've seen a lot is that there's a lot of repression and suppression so can you give a little bit more of a context for what maybe i mean you've i think you've unpacked it a little bit but what that darkness was and how you've seen that darkness in in other people's family systems um, who have been very sort of staunch, uh, strict religious families. Mm -hmm. I would say the most difficult thing is the total repression of emotions and a very strong disdain and fear of the of the body and of sexuality. Mm. When I think of that darkness, I see this contrast between try to show something very beautiful, a kind of image of the perfect family, and all the repressed anger, the repressed fear. My father was a man, I'm quite sure, no, who lived all his life trying to find some life energy, trying to, to hide, trying to protect himself from his deep tendency to depression and from the depth of his anger. And this anger was always, you know, almost there, but just repressed. Mm. And it was making, it was making a kind of background where the sound was always very low. Mm. When I was a, a kid, it was quite okay. But you know, when I began to be a, a teenager, when I began to, well, to, to have some desire of my own, when I began to discover my sexuality, when I began to ask some questions about life, when I began to to see that it was possible to see things in another way. There, it began impossible for my parents to cope with it. And they had no choice than 
either repressing or ignoring it. And they did both, which for me decided me that it was too much of a fragile ground. And I had this intuition that they were very fragile and I had to protect them. And mm. for my sister, it was the contrary. And she, it's the moment, the beginning of the teenage years, where she began to develop these strange uh, behaviors, strange relationships with, with food, strange uh, boys that were talking to her, and little by little become schizophrenic. Yeah, and I, you know, it's it's interesting because I think it manifests for uh, you know in a lot of different ways for different people. But I'm I'm curious, you know, having been a pastor, having grown up in this in this environment where religion was so prominent and 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 in in your case sort of suppressive and why why do you feel knowing what you know now why do you feel like in highly sort of strict religious families and and I guess you know what we're really speaking about is 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 right now from your perspective on the you know Christian and and sort of catholic uh faith why do you feel like it often suppresses emotions? Because that's that's sort of interesting, right? Is a, a lot of the teachings really talk about embracing love and being compassionate, and and a lot of the teachings in the actual Bible itself, whether it's Old Testament or New Testament, really look at the human experience in some ways and and try and um, encourage people to embrace emotions to live a certain way from an emotional space so why does this emotional repression happen in your in your insight probably i have finished to discover that and to sort it out when i made that spiritual experience hearing about my cancer you know religion is something very ambivalent and not only religion spirituality as well spirituality can be something so much helping so much supporting but when it meets unresolved wounds, when it meets uh, the trauma that we don't want to face, I think it creates the, the most fertile ground for a lot of toxicity. Mm. And yes, in my experience, that's what happened. Because, of course, I was not only driven by the, the desire to reassure my parents, I found in religion and in spirituality some very beautiful things that were lifting me up when I was hearing about grace, about freedom, about the, the freedom that gives the spirit, about uh, a life dedicated to God and to the, the, the higher values, about peace of mind, and when, when I could experience those things, it was, you know, that, that glimpse on what could be. But when you have got this, this ground of repression and this ground of strong desire to ignore the worst part of you, maybe, mm. <laughs> because those wounded parts, the parts of the trauma that we don't want to face, those are the parts we are the most afraid of. We are the most prone to declare the worst part of us. And when we don't want to face it, it's very easy to use religion, you know, to avoid that, to declare that demonic, to declare that of the devil, of the, of the bad side, and why do you have in most of religions such an impulse to put, you know, that kind of frontiers? Here you have the one who are saved, and here you have the one who are lost. Mm. Here you are the you have the the pures, and here you have the impures. Why do you have to put such walls? It's because it reflects the the use we made we make of religion to put walls inside us and to say, okay, this is of the light and this is the part of me that I can relate to and be comfortable with. And this is the part I've, I have to, to cast out, to exercise, to fight, and so on. And, you know, this process of um, using 
spirituality to become able to embrace everything that you are and to welcome the wounded parts and to stop being afraid of what you think are the worst parts. This process is the, the process of facing reality, of facing yourself, of um, going out of the shadows. It's the process where you discover the toxicity, but it's the process where you begin to heal and where you begin to build for yourself a spirituality that is no more toxic. Mm. But it needs to face the way you used spirituality in uh, in a toxic way. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting, right? Because it seems like a, a a big part of it is that there's there there are sort of these altruistic aims with with mm -hmm. most religions, and and that you know there's there's sort of this this pathway, especially within Christianity, Catholicism, that 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 says move towards you know move towards the light, as you're saying, move towards these healthy positive emotions and and we can see this in Judaism and 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 Hinduism as well and i think you know Buddhism and Jainism sometimes move in a, a little bit of a different direction um and and Hinduism does as well but specifically within Catholicism and and Christianity there's sort of a, a tendency for it to be interpreted as avoid the bad right avoid mm -hmm. the bad feelings avoid the bad thinking avoid and and ignore um, yeah. just just the bad in general whether it's within your family or your relationships and the and the interesting thing from what we know now psychologically is that that creates repression that creates mm -hmm. depression and massive amounts of anxiety and as Carl Jung would you know have labeled that it it, it just feeds the shadow mm -hmm. within our psyche within our psyche and within our body and and so, okay, so I want to tie this back into your story because I think it's it's so interesting. So you grew up in this environment where there was a lot of repression, where there was a lot of sort of um, downplaying emotions and, and you know, some of it was great and some of it were, were good experiences and you learned, um, but but that, that environment was still there. And um, maybe speak to the trauma um, or the experiences that you had with your leg as a child, because I think that's an important piece to this to this puzzle for the listeners. So you had this uh, disease in your left leg, which is the one um, that had the cancer later on in life. And that disease showed up when you were a child. Can you share a little bit more around how that unfolded as a kid? When I was nine, you know, I was playing with other kids. and. Uh running, I just fell on the ground and my leg broke. It was not a, a fall that would have broken a normal leg. And actually, I almost died. Uh, in fact, I almost died at, at this moment because uh, it was a, a big uh, fracture and uh, it almost uh, cut. I, I don't know the word in English. but yeah, the, It's the femoral artery. Exactly, exactly. That's it. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> no problem. I spent months in the hospital and I had to to suffer surgery. I was separated from my family. And when I remember those times, I suffered a lot uh, as a nine years old. And it's a moment where I really learned <laughs> to repress this suffering and to, you know, try to to smile because I was seeing the the nurses being more gentle and taking better care of me when I was smiling than when I was complaining mm. and why well, trying to to ignore to ignore what I was passing through because it was too difficult and I would have needed at that time you know adults that could have told me we see how much it's difficult, you can cry. And, but it wasn't possible for my parents, actually. I, I almost didn't see my father during this time because he was very busy praying for me. But it's probably the only thing he could do to address this situation because he was, he was quite overwhelmed by what was happening. And two years later... After going out of the hospital, working with clutches for some for a long time, and learning to walk again, 
at that moment of my development, it made a, an imbalance in my um, growing. So I had inequal legs. I was lame. And it's a moment where my father heard about a healer coming in our city. And he was, uh, his specialty was to fix legs, you know. So he, he told me, okay, do you think, I remember I was 12 and he was very solemn. Do you think Jesus could heal you from your leg? And I said, of course, I think. What, what couldn't Jesus do? <laughs> and, you know, he, he decided to write to the whole family who weren't Christians to tell them, okay, in two months, there is a healer coming and we are going to go there and my son is going to be healed. And we prepared, all the family prepared for this uh, divine encounter. And every day I was praying very seriously, reading my Bible, thanking the Lord for the healing to come. And uh, when this uh, meeting happened, I, I remember the, the, the healer, very dedicated, very convict, convinced of what he was doing. And, you know, he made me sit down in front of everybody and he took my, my feet in his hands and he began you know, to move my legs, showing, oh, you see, Jesus is healing him. See, this leg is growing, is growing, is growing. Oh, not too much, Jesus. Yes, it's, a, it's, it's good. And everybody applauding. And, you know, uh, everybody thinking the healing had happened in this church. And the day after, we had fixed an appointment with the doctor to, you know, to say, to attest what had happened. And very sadly, the doctor looked at us and said, no, no, your leg is still different size and you're still lame. And there is no reason to think that your, um, that your disease is healed. So we went back to the healer because he said, oh, in difficult cases, maybe you've got to go two times. <laughs> and uh, he did the same thing and everybody applauded again. And uh, okay, we returned to the doctor. He said again, no healing. And the <laughs> it was a very interesting turning point in my life, you know. Uh, I talk about that in the book I've written uh, this last uh, month about spiritual toxicity. Uh, it's a turning point where I or my parents could have faced the fact that it wasn't working. You know, they could have integrated this new information, you know, to, to widen and to change their worldview to open up their system, but they decided to do, in fact, the contrary. They decided to say, okay, no, Jesus has healed him, uh, and we are going to see how in the years to come. And from that moment, I think the intelligence of the family has been revendicated to try to justify what was happening. And when two years Later, my leg broke again spontaneously. I was 14 and I was just, I had taken a, a girl of my age on my shoulders and the weight of that girl was sufficient to make my leg bro break again. So I was again in the hospital and fortunately the, 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 the surgery allowed to fix my legs, so uh, I went out of the surgery with equal legs. I was not lame anymore. And from that comes the legend in the family that I have been healed at this moment because the, the, the surgeon was supposed to have been able to remove the part that was touched by the disease in the same time that he was fixing my leg, which was not true. <laughs> but it's what everybody began to believe in the family since that, uh, that episode. And you know, it's, a, it's an illustration of how much 
when we need to stay in these beliefs, we can more and more ignore the raw facts of reality and try, you know, to subvert them. Yeah, I mean, it's, I think what's so interesting for me, when I, you know, when I initially heard your story, and I initially heard what happened, and, you know, being this young child who, you know, has a disease in his, in his leg and, and, you know, is going through these, these challenges and being told by the, you know, his, his parents who, you know, we, we, we trust our parents at that age, right? Okay. <laughs> not, we're not 16 or yeah, 17 yeah. yet and rebellious yeah. and, <laughs> you know, and, and so we're, we're, we sort of, we want to appease them and make them happy. And so we're going along with it. Yeah. And I can't imagine the conflict that you were experiencing internally because here, you know, you, you continually have this, this wound with the leg, this, this challenge with the leg and, and you're being told that, that religion is going to heal it, that Christ is going to come into your life. You know, it's a moment in my life where I very uh, unconsciously, but very deliberately choose to numb to any emotion and to, to use my intelligence in a twisted way (laughs) to try to justify that instead of using my intelligence to face reality. Mm. Can we can we pause there and actually look at that a little bit deeper because I think what you're just what you're pointing at is is sort of systemic you know and a lot of people challenge uh, are challenged with this when it comes to religious structures and you know so many of us have grown up in in sort of staunch or strict religious homes and and this this isn't to sort of tear apart religion or attack it in any way it's simply to look at at the consequences of, of what can happen so you know, why from, you know, after being a pastor for 15 years, after having these experiences, you know, as, as a child, why do you feel like people interpret certain religions to, to sort of mean that they need to ignore, ignore challenges, ignore hurt, ignore, um, sort of darker or, um, you know, quote unquote, evil emotions and experiences. How, how does that happen under these you know, religious pretexts? It's a very deep question. Yeah. I would say that what makes the most sense for me about that is, you know, we are so afraid of our shadows. We are so much terrified by what happens in our inner world, and especially when our parents have been terrified before us. And you know, there is a kind of terror that passes from generation to generation. And why do you have in many uh, religions, and not only in evangelical churches, why do you have such terrible depictions of hell, of demons, of the apocalypse to come, of the the, the, the terrible persecutions that are going to happen, and of the the terrible trials that the, the people are going to endure if they are not on the good side of faith. Why do you have such fascination for terrible events I think it's just um, it's just a reflect of these inner terrors, these places inside us that we are terrified to face, and truly it needs a lot of of care, a lot of wisdom, a lot of uh, courage to to engage in the kind of therapies where we are going to to go face to face with those things. Mm. And the the worst is that when you go face to face with these things, you discover that you don't have terrible things in these wounded places. You just have um, terrified inner child that needs care, that needs uh, that we take time with them, and uh, that we we really nurture them. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think that what you're saying is is powerful in many ways because it's. It's almost as though in some forms and in, in some religions, the, the quote unquote healing is, is to not, interestingly enough, it can get interpreted 
as avoiding darkness, as avoiding exactly. these these challenges, and that actually perpetuates. And we we know this. It actually perpetuates from a psychological standpoint those you know those dark thoughts, those anxieties, that depression when we when we avoid it, and the challenges to actually move towards it and and turn towards it and 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 sort of communicate with it and work with it and understand its origins. And, and in that way, we, you know, I guess to use this sort of biblical sense, you know, we almost have to walk through the fires um, in order to come out into light. And, and it's, and it's interesting because when you look at like having done a lot of, a lot of study around, um, you know, theology and different religions. The the interesting thing is so there's a great author named Robert Bell. I'm not too sure if Rob Bell, I'm not too sure if you've ever read any of his stuff, but he actually breaks down, he goes through the the Old and New Testament and he looks at things like the terminology for hell. And he says, you know, hell is only talked about by Christ in the Bible. And mm-hmm. and when it is talked about, he's actually referring to most of the times he goes through each example, but he says most of the times he's actually referring to a physical place that was a valley outside of Jerusalem. And it's so interesting, though, that that our, you know, over the years and the decades of sort of retelling these stories, it's turned into this very sort of fantastical fantasy of a of a place where you know people for eternity are going to go and, and spend their life if they've done something wrong and so it's it's very interesting that we've created this this sort of penultimate version of of hell in our minds that that we want to avoid so badly right because who wants to do that who wants to spend existence in this sort of like horrible horrible place right nobody really wants to do that so so we've used fear but but we've used fear to try and avoid fear and and that's such a that's such a psychologically damaging um thing to do and and very very dangerous in, in many ways and i and i'm curious if you think that that's actually what some of these religions are are talking about like what was your experience as a pastor teaching some of these things and how did you reconcile with some of these teachings with with your own life and and what actually led you to to leave to to leave mm-hmm. teaching these things you know when i was a pastor i was very dedicated and very sincere and what made me begin to to doubt about what i was um, doing of my life was that I little by little began to face that there was something that was wrong in my in my life. And you know, there are these little stones in the shoe and you can try to ignore them for a moment, but little by little it becomes impossible to walk if you don't address the problem. And for example, my relation, my intimate relationships were not satisfying, and you know I had married the the right girl in order to 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 be a good pastor and a good Christian, and our marriage was completely based on our Christian faith, but in the in the underground, our marriage was completely based of on our unresolved wounds, my wife's and mine. And we were trying to to use our marriage and religion to to fix ourselves. And after 10 years of marriage, we began to face the fact that it wasn't working and that we both were completely unhappy and that our relationship was a mess. And that even if we were trying very hard to to be good, we we weren't succeeding. So we both began uh, little by little to to look for help, and we both began to to face what was happening inside us. And after that, I must say that I began to be very very much disturbed to to realize how much my own faith was kind of based on kind of integrism and it was hints of fanaticism inside it. 
And I began to, to be uncomfortable with my need to put strong separations between lost and saved and so on. And of course, I began to see it in the church I was pastor of. And I began to address it, <laughs> which was not very much welcomed for, for, by some of my, <laughs> some of my uh, parishioners, parishioners. And little by little, I began to see that I had a lot of questions that I hadn't been allowed to ask to myself by my upbringing. And the fact of being a pastor was not allowing me to ask those questions. You know, when you, you've got a public function, you must enter in some in some way into that public function. And my public function was beginning to, to make it impossible for me to grow. And when I realized that, I decided to resign. And uh, I, I told it to my church. I told them that I needed to, to quit, which they quite accepted. <laughs> and uh, I quit, which really opened for me a huge space of uh, freedom mm. to to begin a, a long journey of questioning, of doubting, of uh, receiving healing little by little, and uh, it has been a long journey. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it definitely it sounds like it's been a, a long, but but you know, deeply um, revealing journey. And I'm I'm curious, yeah. if, you know, you've you've talked about. Um, you know, to toxic religion or, or toxic spirituality. Can you maybe just define that a little bit more? Because I think it's it's a very interesting term, and I know that you're writing about it right now. Um, but can you define it a little bit more? And then, and then maybe after that, um, we'll just sort of shift into unpacking um, how your relationship to spirituality has changed. But let's just look at toxic spirituality or toxic religion first. Toxic spirituality, to say it very simple, is what happens when any kind of spirituality uh, meets in us unresolved wounds and traumas. But you don't see it, because it seems to you that the spirituality you embrace helps you to heal or to cope with these wounds and these traumas. And that's what happened to me. And it's exactly at this moment that the toxicity begins to grow uh, in hidden places. What made me realize that and face it has been, paradoxically, this experience I've made, you know, of receiving a kind of peace and uh, sense of the presence of, of Jesus, but of divine love and uh, divine acceptance. And, you know, this experience has been kind of like you take the poison and it's the cure. <laughs> you, I have had spiritual experiences when I was a pastor and it was a lot of mix between good and bad. I could, when I was a pastor, I could believe in a loving God accepting everybody with a huge grace and uh, encouraging everybody to grow and to be free. And in the same time, the, the roots of my wounds were doing a kind of twisted work that made that even when I was preaching that, I was presenting in the same time the kind of religion that makes you exactly bypass and uh, fear to face your wounds and uh, that little by little builds these systems you find in most evangelical churches that you have to conform to some models and you are little by little trapped in a kind of fanaticism. And making that experience recently you know, gave me a kind of point of view. And uh, when we addressed it during the week of therapy we made together, it gave me 
you know, kind of the, the momentum to do this work and to discover, to discover how much in my experience, it was remaining a lot of, I call that a lot of toxic Jesuses. <laughs> you know, uh, even if I had turned my back to uh, evangelical Christianity, a lot of this toxicity was still active into my body and into my soul. And I could little by little see uh, and address all these toxic Jesuses. That's almost the subject of my book. Mm. You know, it's as if I had a, a kind of beautiful experience of grace and it made this effect as if, you know, when you you put a, you take a stone and you move it and the light comes where the stone was and you see a lot of little insects crawling and panicking because they were hidden under the stone and now the light is shining and they don't know where to go and they are completely in panic because of the light. Mm. And for me, I could begin to observe those toxic Jesus is panicking <laughs> to me. And it was a very good opportunity to see them very clearly and to address them. And in this, in this way, writing this book has been such a healing moment for me. Mm. <laughs> and I think it's a healing to share because I'm convinced that most of people that have been through uh, evangelical churches or through any kind of Christian churches have in them some of this toxicity more or less active. Yeah. And it's not limited to, to Christianity. I'm convinced that you are going to find toxic Buddhas and toxic Allahs and toxic Krishnas and toxic all the kind because it's, you know... Um, it's universal in humans that need to try to to use spirituality to bypass mm -hmm. those places we fear. Yeah, yeah, and that's I mean that's such a great, uh, a really apt way of putting it is that it's oftentimes the human ego gets attached to these very specific structures and whichever you know, whichever, um, religion or, you know, doctrine that, that they're, that they're following or, or learning. And, and it does become the, the structure that oddly enough, oftentimes the infrastructure that the ego attaches to, to then avoid being seen, you know, to then avoid having the hurt and the, and the pain or any of the suffering behind the scenes actually be witnessed. And I love the analogy of the stone you know, covering from the light. And when we actually move that stone out of the way, you, you sort of see all that darkness that's, that's there. And those little, you know, the, <laughs> the little bugs, uh, you know, all of a sudden mm -hmm. panicking about being witnessed and um, actually being able to, to turn towards some of that in a, in a loving way, but actually start to reveal those, those parts and, and bring them forward so that we, so that, you know, spiritual bypassing um, is, we, we start to move through that spiritual bypassing. And I, I think one of the last things that I want to touch on, I, you know, you and I could talk about, re, you know, religion and, and so much of this for, for hours, you know, like we, I think, I think we really yeah. could go, go deep on this. And I think on the next one, maybe we'll just talk about it, uh, th that more specifically. But one of the things that I did want to touch on before we end the, end the show is this idea of dealing with loss and dealing with with grief around loss and everyone has their own version of loss and grief in their lifetime and i, I know that you know something that i can i can't imagine that you've had to to deal with over the last uh you know not even year over the last 11 months around you know the, the cancer and the amputation and you know losing your leg how has that process been for you how have you faced the the loss of of that and and how has that grown you you know this experience i made has been of such a help because it allowed this process that i described to begin and i had discovered through that experience a place from which i could look at 
my terror, look at my pain, look at my sadness, look at my revolt, my anger, and I could stay with them. And I could listen to them, and I had time to do that. And I did it very, very much. And I discovered so many faces of me that I wasn't familiar with. You know, sometimes that terror was sending me to encounter uh, the, the, the young kid uh, terrified in the hospital. Sometimes the anger was making me meet the, the teenager over angry against his father, but unable to express it. And go on and on and on with these things. All these feelings, very difficult feelings, but so much precious in the same time, mm. helped me to develop such an intimacy with all the, all the me I was and had been and still was. All the parts of me that had been uh, frozen and isolated in, you know, time capsules. Mm. And I could meet them. I could take a lot, lot of time with them. And of course, I've lost my leg. But in this process, I've gained something. I've gained, you know, um, a life energy, a desire for life. Yes, that's the better word I can find, a life energy. And I realize now how much I was deprived of that life energy during um, a, a huge part of my life because all those inner conflicts, all this inner repression was using so much energy to be maintained. Mm. So, of course, my life is not very easy. Uh, I've had to learn to walk with a very difficult prosthetic. I, I have pain, I have limitations, I don't know how much I'm going to be able to go back to work. But in the same time, it has been such a process of unfolding and discovering and uh, a new discovery and a new, of new depths of spirituality in the same time. But it's no more spirituality disconnected from what is inside me. It's a spirituality of embracing more and more everything that I am. And that is such a, such a gift and such a privilege. Uh, I don't feel disabled. Mm. I feel abled by what I've passed through. Mm. Well, that's, I think that's probably the perfect note to end on. And I just, you know, I, I have so much respect and, and just uh, honor and appreciate the fact that you came on the show and joined me and, and shared your story and your past and, and, you know, what you've, what you've been through. And um, so, so first off, thanks for joining me. And, and secondly, um, do you have a title for the book yet? And, and when do you plan on having that come out? You know, I just finished the, the process of rewriting and correcting. And I think the title will be In the Name of Jesus, Grace, Holy Shit, and Spiritual Abuse. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Grace, Holy Shit, and Spiritual Abuse. I, yeah. I think that is something that, uh, I mean, I'm definitely looking forward to reading that. And um, yeah, I'm looking for a publisher yeah, for the moment. Yeah, well, um, yeah, I think uh, there's a lot of people that are listening to this right now that I'm sure would love to read that book. So thank you so much, Mark Henry. Probably. Yeah, thank you so much. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share yeah, that. Yeah, and, and uh, I'm going to take you up on having you back on the show here in a few months, and we'll do a deep dive uh, maybe specifically into religion, but um, thank you so much for joining me and uh, for everyone that's out there. Yeah, thank you. Uh, for everyone that's out there listening, definitely stay tuned for Mark Henry's book uh, when it comes out. We'll have him back on the show. 
Uh, don't forget to share this podcast episode with just one person uh, or a few, if you feel called to, uh, that could use listening to this. So this is a big, uh, big topic for a lot of people. And I'm going to encourage you to share this with your friends or family or people that are around you that are are going through this or that have gone through this sometime in their past. So uh, don't forget to head on over to your favorite platform, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, uh, wherever you happen to listen to us and leave us a rating and review. It goes a long way and I would appreciate, um, be very grateful for you taking just a few seconds out of your day to leave us that rating and review. So until next week, this is Connor Beaton signing off. Join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Mm-hmm.